Aerial View with Chris Lodge. End Times Talk Radio. 760 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You have a podcast? Cool. Oh, yeah, I invented them. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started to fall. What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil. Evil! Back me again! Come on, bunch of pussies, wear a Stories. You don't have to listen to my program. 
Listen to the radio, find out what's going on. Listen to the talk shows and you will find out what's going on. Radio? Yes, talk radio. It's so boring, man. Okay, okay. The car just committed suicide. I have an idea now. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Showtime! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about whatever happens to bug you? That's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. extrapolated this out and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up you know what I'm ready my daughters aren't starving to death I'll eat my neighbors see my superpower is being honest I'll eat your ass when when do we exit this dark passage That's what I want to know. It's me, Chris T, here on the HoundNYC.com, where every Sunday new hound howls at 3 p.m. Eastern. Followed by Crash in the Party, the doo-wop, chap shop of the air. Mark and Miriam, you got those doo-wops on vinyl, do you? It's uh, January 8th, 2021. And Elvis, had he lived, would have been 145 years old today. Happy birthday, Elvis. 
What's that? No? Not 145? Well? Then what is it? Really? That's all? You're kidding. Jesus, I thought it was a lot older than that. Alright. Jeez. He would have he might have still been above ground. Born in 1935. What do you know? What would Elvis make of all of this shit going on? Would he have succumbed to the COVID? Imagine Elvis. 85 years old, 86 years old, the next thing you know, drops dead from COVID. Make you sit up and take notice. The COVID killed Elvis. That would suck. Yeah, but he died. He was uh, 42, right? What? Is Don on the phone? And I want to know where the pictures I was supposed to see, goddammit. You got me coming out of an upbeat song, doing a death dedication. They talk about a dog dying! What would Elvis make of all this? Would Elvis have been there at the White House? Maybe he would have been one of those people struggling up the steps who died. By now, you've all heard what happened at the Capitol on Wednesday when a whole bunch of fuckwits descended on the U.S. Capitol and decided they were going to seize control. They were going to stop the steal. Etc. And these fuckwits managed to uh, bust into the U.S. Capitol. Didn't seem that hard to do. Didn't even seem like double-pane glass on those windows. They broke through there like a hot knife through butter. And uh, I've, been, I've, I've been obsessed with this thing since it went down. Been absor- I've been trying to grab everything I can about it, trying to find everything I can about it. Because it's history. We're living through history. I would personally choose to live through a little less history. It would be okay with me. This is Aerial View. I am Chris T. We've got a, an upside-down update before we get to the meat of the matter. When constitutional scholar Ken Katkin, also host of Trash Flow Radio, returns to the program to drill down on a second Trump impeachment, uh, the 25th Amendment, and oh so much more. Let's see if we can get some audio going on of uh, the mayhem in the AM at the U.S. Capitol. Because it is, as I, as I said, fascinating. And the number here, by the way, is 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV. If you want to drop into the program in the few minutes we have before I get Ken Katkin on the blower, please feel free or cheap, whichever you prefer feeling. It's up to you. 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV in the moments we have before I contact our very own constitutional scholar. It's nice to have a friend who's a constitutional scholar and call stuff like this happen. 
Now, uh, here is your upside down update. And what I love about these updates is that they involve people being arrested for federal crimes. These people, I mean, it, it would have been very simple if they had worn stupid masks, right? They might not be that easy to identify, but instead, uh, because of their idiocy, they're all, uh, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of volunteers who are looking at all this footage, trying to identify these fuckwits. And a number of them have already been arrested, including the man who broke into Pelosi's office, uh, now identified as Richard Barnett, 60, from Gravette, Arkansas. And I will bet you $100 he was a truck driver. You know, I, I spoke with truck drivers for 12 years. I saw this coming down the pike. I, uh, I hate to paint everybody with the same brush because there was a lot of truck drivers that I spoke to that were good people who had a lot of sense. And then there were a whole bunch of fuckwits among them. And uh, they believed all kinds of baseless nonsense. Like the one who messaged me on Facebook yesterday to say that this was Democrat-funded BLM and Antifa members who were rioting in Washington, D.C. Wrote back with hashtag sad. Hashtag sad. Just sad. Living through very sad times. And I don't know how we exit this. That's the thing. How do we get out of this? Where's the exit? That's what I like to know. So uh, I wonder if I keep reading this article, if they'll tell us what he did for a living. Richard Barnett of Gravette, Arkansas. Taken into custody, faces three counts. Federal counts. So how long can they throw you in jail for that? There was a guy they got who was uh, carrying a 9mm pistol. Maryland resident Christopher Alberts, he has been arrested, says he was carrying the weapon for personal protection, and he meant no harm. Mark L. J. Leffingwell has been uh, arrested, accused of punching a Capitol Police officer repeatedly in the head and chest before apologizing. Oh, hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to punch you in the head and chest. Sorry, dude. So many moments coming out of this that are fascinating to me, like the guy who supposedly tased himself to death and in the nutsack. How do you do that? How do you tase yourself to death in the nutsack? I think it has something to do with interrupting the electrical currents in the heart. I'm pretty sure that's how you do it. And I don't know why it was in the nutsack. And then uh, some other stories coming out of this. Like the guy who stole the lectern of the Speaker of the House. <laughs> it's like posing. Posing with the lectern. Where is that lectern now? Did he take it all the way home? Is it in his like uh, living room? Is he using it for his coffee maker? And um, I can't wait to see the front line on this. Th this is going to make such 
an excellent front line. Before I call Ken Katkin, constitutional scholar, uh, the headline is that uh, Nancy Pelosi has threatened impeachment if Trump doesn't resign immediately and if that guy doesn't return her lectern. <sighs> All right, let's start. Uh, start. Let's stop farting around and uh, get Double K on the phone. Who will drill down on this bullshit? Hopefully. I hate that fucking noise. Oh, let's please. Ken Katkin. Welcome to uh, Aerial View. For I don't know how many times this is. You're like Ken Jennings. I remember Jeopardy. to turn off my uh, radio this time, so I'm not echoing at you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. How was your uh, New Year? Uh, it was pretty good. Um, although I was I was supposed to be moving during it because I'm I'm teaching I'm visiting I'm on leave and I'm teaching at the University of Colorado this semester, so I should have moved out there. But I'm uh, I'm actually teaching remotely because of the pandemic, so I didn't move anywhere. I'm still home. You are teaching in Colorado, yet you remain in uh, Ohio. That's interesting. Yep, yep that's Pretty what I'm cool. doing right now. Yeah. yeah, so I had a less less eventful break than I expected. So uh, let's remind folks uh, who you are and what you're doing on the program. Constitutional, uh, professor of constitutional law at uh, Chase School of Law at uh, Kentucky University. Did I get any of that right? That's totally right. All right, yeah. finally figuring it out after your half a dozen times on the program. Uh, you and I met, met many years ago through the auspices of WFMU, like where I met most people I know now. It, was that how we met? I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah, I we think definitely that did it. meet at yeah. FMU. I was, I was doing some substituting and for a short time a regular show on FMU, and you, of course, were the star of Aerial View then as now. Yeah, right. Where uh, Let me check and see how many people are listening. Or do you really want to be that depressed? <laughs> Should I look? Oh, well, you know what? We got a dozen listeners. That's pretty well, damn that's, good. That's pretty good. Right. Yeah. There's a, I call them the dirty dozen. Yeah. And How, uh, how do you know they're not the clean dozen? I don't know. But that, hopefully <laughs> a lot more people listen to the, to the podcast, which is now on Amazon Music Podcast. Yes, you can ask, uh, ask Alexa to play Aerial View, and, and it will. She will. And uh, also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and YouTube and all that stuff. So uh, hopefully a lot more of you will listen as a podcast, but that's fine. We got a dozen of you right now, and we're going to, as I was saying, uh, talk to Ken for a bit about what is the uh, chances of a second impeachment occurring in the next 12 <laughs> days. <laughs> I think they're probably slim to none, but you, you might have more insight on. Them. No, you're right. I mean, the one thing that probably will happen in the next couple of days, I think the House of Representatives will vote out a, a second set of articles of impeachment again. I think the House will actually impeach him again, but I don't think it's going to be picked up in the Senate. I don't think there's going to be a trial or anything like that. What would have to change for the Senate to sign on to this? As opposed well, to last time. I mean, for this to succeed, forget about signing on to it. But right. are, do well, you think there's been any movement? Are there any Republican senators who are now like, yeah, you know, kind of when they break into the Capitol, that's a bit too much for me. <laughs> well, one thing that happened just a couple hours ago is uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski, a Republican senator from Alaska, publicly called upon Trump to immediately resign. So she didn't say she'd vote for an impeachment, but she did She did become the first Republican senator to call on him to immediately resign. On the other hand, um, Mitt Romney, who is the only Republican senator who voted to remove him in the first impeachment, 
um, publicly said that he doesn't think that there's time for a, an impeachment trial now and it would be a waste of time. And I think Romney's line was, uh, we, we just have to hold our breath for 10 days. Um, so I, I think there's no enthusiasm in the Republican caucus for it which means it can't succeed if it actually happens because you'd need 17 Republicans to vote for it. And I think more importantly, until Kamala Harris gets sworn in as uh, vice president, and in fact, until uh, both John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock get also sworn in as senators, Mitch McConnell's still the Senate majority leader. He still controls the calendar. And I just see him having no interest in scheduling an impeachment trial in these final days. He's already formally adjourned the Senate. They're not even in session now. He'd have to call him back in for that. And uh, I, I just don't see why he would do that. What about the idea of blocking him from ever running again? So even if this doesn't happen in the next 12 days, is there utility in this to keep him from? Because, by the way, I will predict right now that he will run in 2024. He may even win. But what about that idea of somehow I, I barring say, him I'd from be, ever I'd running? Against, I'd be against it on practical grounds. So. From constitutional standpoint, we, we really don't know. Um, the, the, the impeachment clause of the Constitution says that um, disqualification from future office can be one of the penalties in an impeachment trial. Um, and, and people have been given that penalty uh, when they've been impeached and removed. But, but nobody's ever been um, uh, impeached after they're not in office anymore. So, so it's one thing to impeach somebody while they're still in office, kick them out of office and say, you know, and, and you can't come back. And it's kind of another thing when they're already not in office to, to, to impeach them just for the purpose of saying you can't come back. It, it probably is constitutional, but there'd be constitutional challenges to it. But I think more importantly, the Republicans are not going to go for it. And you'd need, again, 17 of them to go for it. So it's it's doomed to failure. Um, and meanwhile, Biden has um, a limited amount of time and an extremely thin majority to work with to get things done. And I, I, I just think it's not really practical for him to want to have the, the Senate and the House all tied up with another impeachment trial that's doomed to fail and that's taking them away from other business and that's causing more uh, rancor. You know, I, 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 and, and, and sucking all the headlines away from Biden. I, I, I just don't see that the benefit of that um, uh, outweighs the cost, given that it is actually doomed to failure unless 17 Republicans would sign on to it. Interesting, because, you know, there are a lot of people saying that this has to be done, that you cannot allow him to succeed. Not that he succeeded, but to incite a riot yeah. the way that he did. Do you agree, by the way, that he's directly responsible for I, inciting I, I, I this riot? I think so. You know, and I think it may be provable. I mean, I think there's going to have to be more investigation done. But once once Merrick Garland becomes attorney general, once Biden gets his own people in to be U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, um, and once and, and, and I don't know if he's going to replace Chris Ray at the FBI. Chris Ray's not so terrible, actually. He might be the only decent appointment that Trump made. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there can be more investigation of how much of a role Trump played. If if the only thing Trump did was give that speech that we all saw um, on, on Wednesday morning, it'd probably be hard to convict him just for that. But if he played any role beyond that um, in in organizing um, the, the the gathering of people, the 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 idea of marching them over to the Capitol, 
um, paving a path for them to actually get to the Capitol. If he played any role in um, making sure that the, the 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 Capitol was not adequately defended, you know, telling the Defense Department not to send the National Guard out there, telling the the Park Police not to send any Park Police out there, um, delaying the requests for the Virginia and, and Maryland National Guard so that the, the chaos would continue. If he did all that stuff besides giving his speech, then he's taken other substantial steps to uh, assist in that in that rioting. And then there's a lot of federal crimes he could be indicted for. And so I think a, a proper investigation might dig up some evidence of some of that other stuff. And I, I think he could be in serious criminal jeopardy um, on a number of federal crimes that could land him 20 years in prison. So you're saying even after he leaves office? I mean, oh, this especially is, after. Yeah, yeah, especially he, after. Yeah, he becomes totally liable. He loses all immunities that he's had to criminal or civil liability the day that he leaves office. He becomes amenable to the criminal justice process just like anyone else. He can be arrested. He can be indicted. And if he committed crimes while he was president, then he can be um, sent to prison for that. If you're just joining us, Ken Katkin just said that there is no doubt in his mind that in the next 12 days, the president will try to pardon himself. That's how I'm interpreting your statement. Because I think that would be... Wouldn't that be the grace note on all this? Wouldn't that be the cherry on top of this shit Sunday is that he does actually. And and by the way, did, wasn't it reported that he was speaking to uh, underlings about this very thing? Yes. Um, you know, I think he is speaking to underlings about this very thing. I think he may try to do it. Um, you know, there's there's some problems he's going to have trying to pardon himself. Uh one is, of course, it's never been done, and there's conflicting uh, theories about whether it's constitutional or not. Um, and so um, now Biden's going to have to play a role in this because in the, in the past, um, for instance, when Ford pardoned Nixon, um, even though Nixon didn't pardon himself, but Ford pardoned him and gave him a blanket pardon for crimes he hadn't been charged with yet, um, nobody ever tried to charge Nixon for any of those crimes. So no court ever actually did rule on whether, for instance, a president could be given a blanket pardon and pardoned for crimes that they've never been charged with. And no no court has ever ruled on whether a president can pardon themselves. The only way a court ever would rule on that is if Biden takes the position that that pardon's not valid and goes ahead and prosecutes him anyhow. And I hope he would do that. And then and then and then Trump would have to raise it up in court as a defense and say, well, I can't be prosecuted because I've been pardoned. And then the court would have to rule on whether uh, the pardon was valid or not. Um, so he may try to pardon himself. Some people were talking before that he might try to resign a little early and uh, have Pence pardon him. But he seems to have really burned his bridges on that one. I, I can't see any reason Pence would pardon him at this point. Um, there were there were people going into the Capitol looking for Pence so they could hang him because Trump had talked about how disappointed he'd be if Pence didn't uh, steal the election for him. Yeah, there was a lot of noose imagery on Wednesday, and it apparently it goes back to the Turner Diaries because that's you know that book yeah. that came out in seventy four seventy five, which is a fictional account of this guy uh, who decides that the real problem in society are the liberals and wants to and there's a day when they hang everybody they hang all the politicians and yeah. they hang all these so-called leftists and liberals and so there was a lot of new imagery in uh dc on wednesday and i actually have audio of i mean you mentioned that they went after uh mike pence they also now have turned on lindsey no, that's not actually them. But they did yell. <laughs> they did actually uh, yell "liar" at him, and they called him a traitor, and they heckled him because he got up drunk 
on uh, Wednesday night after they got back into the Congress, into the House, uh, or the Senate, I should say, and he stood up and basically said, uh, he mentioned that band from the 80s, that hair metal band, Nuff's Enough, I believe. <laughs> and so a, I, I, it, what really is astonishing about the moral cowardice we've seen from these people all these years is it's not until their own lives are threatened that they decide enough is enough. Like, they can't even think about anybody that's not themselves, apparently. And yet, they're senators and representatives. I don't get it. Someone explain it to me. I don't get it. But so, and because you said that it's never been done, uh, people, presidents parting themselves, that's why I know it's going to happen. This president hates norms so much that even Norm Crosby died during his administration. <laughs> That's how much he hates Norm. <laughs> Norm Crosby died. Some other problems that he would have, though, um, even if he pardoned himself, uh, and even if for some reason the court d- decided that he can pardon himself, um, he'd have to also name crimes that he's pardoning himself for. And it seems to me he's committed so many crimes that even if he made a big list and he said, here's a hundred crimes I did and I'm pardoning myself for every one of them. Um, there's probably another hundred crimes that he did, you know, so I, I, I don't know how he's going to be able to um, articulate all the federal crimes that he's committed. And then also uh, he can't pardon himself on any state crimes. Now, most of his state crimes took place in New York and have to do with the operation of his businesses and his uh, charities. But uh, but, you know, New York, both the New York State Attorney General and the um, Manhattan D.A., are really, really on his tail. I mean, he's going to be prosecuted for crimes that were committed in those capacities, and and there's nothing he can do about that with a pardon. And we all know that's because it's political and the Democrats. That's why. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that would be Cyrus B. Vance Jr. and is it Letitia James is the other yes, that, person that's, that's exactly right. yep. on his tail right now? And what do you think are the odds of success in those cases? I mean, I just want to know, in the next however many years this piece of crap has above ground, what do you give to the odds of him being escorted to a federal prison? Well, so in New York, it would be a state prison. He'd be going off I'm to sorry, uh, Sing, Sing Sing or Attica or one of those Oh, places, I've been inside a Sing Sing. That's interesting. Yeah. It's the only prison <laughs> yeah. I've ever been to. I went up the river one time. So what were you doing? What were you doing there? I was so uh, doing audio for NPR. They were they were these prisoners who put on plays twice a year. They do a every year they do a musical and then they do a drama. And they stage it for the personnel at the prison and their families. And we went there to document that whole thing. And I got to meet the warden and he gave me a beer mug that says Sing Sing on it. It it was (laughs) the only time I was inside of like, you know, an actual prison and not, you know, I've, I've never, thank God, knock wood, I've never been to jail. I've never been arrested. So I... There's still time, I suppose, but he yeah. would. He, there's a chance he would go up to Ossining and end up at Sing Sing. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance because that's where you'd go if you were. I mean, there's other. He might go to even more minimum security prison, but there's, you know, the big New York State prisons would be Sing Sing or or uh, um, Attica, and uh, um, and and so, yeah, there is definitely. That's I think Michael Cohen was up there for a little bit in Sing Sing, and then they they let him back out um, because of the COVID pandemic. But Trump's you know personal lawyer was there. Um, so he could, yeah. I think he. I think there's a reasonable chance he will go there. I actually think from what from from if you just look at what Michael Cohen testified about to Congress about the types of um, financial crimes that Trump was committing, uh, a lot of bank fraud, right? He 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 declare 
on his income taxes that all these properties he owned were worth nothing and, and didn't generate any income. And then he'd declare um, on his bank loan applications that the exact same properties were worth a fortune and were generating a fortune, so he should be loaned a lot of money. Um, and that, that's sort of straight up bank fraud. And I think that kind of stuff should be fairly easy to prove out. There was a little bit of difficulty getting his tax returns, but that's that's all over now that those prosecutors have them. And uh, um, and, and, you know, and so I, I think I think there's pretty high chance of conviction on some of those things. His charity already had to be closed down because it was so fraudulent. His Trump University stuff had to be closed down because it was so fraudulent. And you know, I just want to point out, I never got my Trump stakes. I just want to point that out. They <laughs> did never did. Or, they they never arrived. So I'm still waiting for those. My Trump stake. So I, I feel pretty good about this. Then you think that there's a pretty good shot that he that we will live if we keep healthy, we'll live long enough to see this piece of garbage escorted off to jail. I do. And I also think besides that, another thing that'll be very nice is um, he's going to be sued in so many civil courts for so many things in so many jurisdictions. And he's just going to have to deal with that. His whole life is going to be courtrooms and litigation. That's all. That's all. He's, you know, he might get out to play golf a little bit for part of his day, but most of his day is just going to be dealing with courtrooms and litigation. And a lot of it's going to be civil. A lot more of it will be civil litigation than than criminal prosecution. Well, but there's yeah. going to be criminal prosecutions too. Before we get to the attack on the Capitol, the white rioting that went on, what about the odds of him trying to flee prosecution? Do you think he may try to go where there's not an extradition policy with the United States, some kind of reciprocal agreement? And what are the odds of that? I mean, I know I'm asking you to do yeah. a lot of uh, bookmaking here tonight, but I feel like I don't think I don't think he will. I actually think from one thing we know about him is he's kind of a travel phobic. Mm -hmm. You know, he really he really doesn't like going anywhere. He almost like didn't want to move to the White House because he couldn't stand the idea of like not having to use a toilet that other people have used for, for a long time and things like that. So he's uh, he's got a lot of weird things about him that make it seem to me he wouldn't actually be able to function um, that far outside. We kill you pretty soon. We have some news, by the way, breaking during the program. Tommy Lasorda has died at the age of 93 uh, from apparently it was a... Uh, he bled Dodger blue, as he likes to say. No, he suffered from a cardiopulmonary arrest, and he was in Fullerton, California, where uh, Leo Fender got his start. It's one of the towns in California I've actually been to. I didn't know Tommy Lasorda was there. I would have waved hello. <laughs> That's uh, out east. Is that out east of L.A. by a little bit? It is. It's like southeast of L.A., yeah, Fullerton, California. It's a nice little town. So Tommy Lasorda, Hall of Famer, 93, and uh, he's... Uh, Shuffled off. It wasn't COVID related, so there, I guess there's something to be grateful yeah. for in that. Uh, also, so so now let's t return to the unprecedented thing that we saw happen in this country on Wednesday, and uh, what the Constitution has to say about the defense of the Capitol. Because I know the two Sergeant of Arms have stepped down. Uh, the Senate's Sergeant of Arms, and there was a Capitol Sergeant of Arms, uh, Arms as well, Sergeant at Arms, however you say it. Uh, so does the Constitution make any provisions for the physical safety of the representatives and the senators? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the president's oath of office um, is to protect the, the United States government against uh, enemies foreign and domestic. Whoopsie-daisy. So, Whoopsie-daisy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, that's the oath of office. So he, yeah. he, he failed. <laughs> now, now the, uh, the, the, for the most part, law enforcement is an executive function. The, the Capitol police actually don't work for Trump. They work for the, the, the Congress. So the, the Capitol, the Capitol police, um, you can't really blame their failings on Trump, but I think Trump uh, had a big role here because there wasn't um, there was just no support from any of the executive agencies you'd expect to see it from. There, there was no National Guard. There was no uh, park police. There was no Homeland Security. Um, you know, in some of these Black Lives Matter protests, we saw him even sending out um, law enforcement agents from uh, agencies like the Customs or the the Border Patrol that, you know, really don't even Coast have anything Guard. to do with Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah. But he would just... Park rangers, heavily armed park rangers, whoever they could find. If they were black people, they would. There was a yeah. phalanx. There was like a triple phalanx, right around and, around yeah. the Capitol. Yes, yes. Whereas in this case, you know, none of those people are there, and not only that, but it there's a lot of finger pointing going on today, and it's hard to know exactly how to sort out these stories. But it certainly seems like um, one story that was told by uh, Maryland Governor uh, Larry Hogan uh, is that he got a call on his personal cell phone from Nancy Pelosi on her personal cell phone. And she's cowering, um, you know, in the in the secure area of the, the, the Capitol building, you know, while the whole thing's been overrun by rioters. And she calls Governor Hogan in Maryland and says, send the Maryland National Guard over here because Trump won't send the, 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 the DC National Guard. And so Hogan orders the uh, Maryland National Guard out there and the, the general who runs the Maryland National Guard says, well, we can't because the Secretary of Defense told us we can't go out there until we get orders to go out there. And, and Hogan says, well, I'm the governor. You answer to me. Go out there. And, and, and the general says, no, we've been nationalized and we have orders not to go. And, 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 and it seems like similar stories unfolded in um, Virginia as well. So the, the, both Maryland and Virginia fairly quickly sent state troopers out there who are just purely uh, um, work for the state. But in terms of National Guard, where there's lines of authority that run through the Pentagon, it, it really seems like the Pentagon was delaying uh, even that, as well as not sending out the, the zillions of agencies that are right there in D.C. So it's, uh, um, yeah, it, it's very mysterious. Um, and that seems to be an extremely gross abdication of uh, the president's responsibility. Wow. Add that to the list. This list grows longer. But in the time that we have remaining, I really want to dive into the 25th Amendment because I'm kind of fascinated by it. I may have told you in previous appearances on this program, Ken Katkin, who is a professor of constitutional law at the Chase School of Law at Kentucky University, and now a visiting professor. Is it Colorado University? Which, which university yeah. in Colorado? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, University of Colorado in Boulder. That's right. That one of my A's in high school was a book report on Lyndon Baines Johnson. I may have told you that. So, and he's always been one of my favorite presidents because, you know, there was a lot of good in that man and a lot of bad. Like, he, he was a really good example of how those, you know, how, how good and evil fight in all of us and how he was a flawed individual who tried to do the right thing. But it fell to Lyndon Baines Johnson to figure out what would happen um, in the case of the incapacity of himself, because when he became president after JFK died, there was all this thought about what happens if he dies or something happens to him before we come up with a new vice president. We're kind of screwed. So the idea of the 25th Amendment was to codify the line of succession, the pre presidential order of succession, to figure out the process that would happen that would lead to 
nominating a new vice president, coming up with a new vice president in a scenario like an assassination, but furthermore, a mechanism to remove a president who was declared unfit, unable to discharge the the duties of the office. So how much do you know about the 25th Amendment? And why do we keep hearing about it over these last few days when it just seems like <laughs> it's almost as long a shot as the idea of an impeachment actually working? Yeah, it, it, it is. it's not really going to happen. I mean, it, it's it's never, ever been invoked even once. Um, you know, as you can tell from its number 25, uh, it's pretty recent amendment. It's it's um, it was ratified after the Kennedy assassination. So we've we've only had it in the in the Constitution about 50 years. But um, and it never has ever been invoked. So no one knows exactly how it works. But um, what it says is that um, uh, if the if the vice president and a majority of the principal officers of the executive departments um, d- tell the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, um, then they can suspend him for 21 days, basically. And in this case, 21 days would be the whole thing because he doesn't have 21 days left. So it, it's a it's a theoretical possibility. However, um, you know, th- there's not any restrictions in in the Constitution about what you know what what's meant by unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. I I think it would be reasonable to conclude that this president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Um, but but the main thing that 25th Amendment does that limits that is it puts these decisions in the hands of the president's own cabinet and vice president. So these are people that are typically very loyal to him and are not going to want to cross him. And and I think that's what we're seeing now. And even now, when Trump seems to have completely turned against Pence, um, Pence has still you know, got a lot of political reasons, I think, that he doesn't want to be seen as disloyal to Trump. And he's, he says he's not going to invoke this. And um, if he doesn't invoke it, then the principal officers uh, of the cabinet don't even have to vote on it. Um, another problem now with the 25th Amendment uh, is that so many of his principal officers of, of his executive departments have quit. Um, that it's you know I think Pompeo and uh, Mnuchin might be the last ones left, so um, uh, I don't even know how that would work. You know the 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 25th Amendment kind of contemplates that there's you know six or seven cabinet secretaries, but right now there really aren't. Well, a number of them have resigned in the last few days, and there is some talk, especially in the case of uh, someone odious uh, like Betsy DeVos. Not that Elaine Chao isn't odious; they're all odious. That's yeah. that's how they got their jobs. Um, quit so that she wouldn't have to weigh in on the 25th yeah. Amendment. I, I think there's anything I think to that's that? part of it. I think it's partly to not have to weigh in on the 25th and just partly to try to rehabilitate their own reputation a little bit um, so that they can be remembered as people who quit after this rather than being remembered as people who are loyal even after this. Uh, I'm speaking with Ken Katkin. He's professor of constitutional law at the Chase School of Law at Kentucky University, also visiting professor currently at Colorado University. And uh, we're living through history as we always are, but this is a bit too much history for me. Do you think in the wake of this there are going to be any uh, calls for further changes in in terms of constitutional law, the Constitution itself? Do you think there'll be a renewed push to eliminate the Electoral College? Let's remember they were meeting to ratify these uh, electoral votes, these electors, and this is when... The Capitol was stormed. If it wasn't for that, this none of this would have gone down. So any renewed push, you think, to not only I know there's that pact between the states to honor 
the the numbers that come in on election day and to give all the electors to those who uh, take those numbers. But what about the idea of like now we really do have to eliminate the electoral college? I, I don't think there's going to be any progress on that front. I, I think it falls on straight partisan lines, actually. I, I don't think any Republicans want to eliminate the Electoral College. Uh, in fact, uh, the congressman who represents the northern part of Kentucky, where I, where I normally teach, uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, who's Republican, um, he was opposed to uh, most of his colleagues on this, and he, he voted to recognize Biden's victory. And he, he issued a, a, a statement about it. And uh, in part of his statement, which I thought was interesting, Congressman Massey, the Republican congressman from northern Kentucky, says, um, uh, we Republicans should not weaken the Electoral College. We really rely on the Electoral College um, to to let us elect Republican presidents. And if we didn't have the Electoral College and if we had a national popular vote, there never would be another Republican president. So we've got to really stand by it and not undermine it. And I think from from that partisan perspective, the wisdom of what he said is gonna is gonna carry the day. I, I just don't see that Republicans can go along with a program of national popular vote because they'll never win a national popular vote. They would have to give but up yet, their tyranny yeah. of the minority over the majority is what they'd have to do. Yeah. Yeah, and and they uh, and so I don't think you'll see electoral college reform. It is it is not going to be possible except through the same slow process that 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 we talked about before, where um, eventually. When a few more big states, like especially Texas, actually turn Democrat, um, then you'll have enough big states that are Democratic states that they will be able to enact the uh, the National uh, Electoral Vote Compact, and uh, and then we'll have a workaround. But I, I don't think you can get that any faster just because of the events that happened this Wednesday. I think it's still going to take another decade or two um, until you have a few more big Democratic states. As of uh this month, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact um, has uh, has 196 electoral votes contained within it, 36% of the Electoral College. You'd have to get the 73% of the 270 votes needed to give it any kind of legal force. What it says essentially is that it's an agreement among a group of U.S. states and the District of Columbia that they will award all their electoral votes to whichever presidential candidate wins the overall popular vote in the 50 states and D.C. And it's designed to ensure that the candidate who receives the most popular votes nationwide, the most votes nationwide, is actually elected president. So no kind of skullduggery that we've been seeing play out recently could take place. There is some question among uh, legal minds such as yourself that it, it, it could never actually happen even if you got states to sign off on it because of something called plenary power? What is plenary power? No, I don't agree with that. But um, uh, So some people would argue that if the state legislatures um, say they do decide to sign on to this, um, that they could cheat and that they, they could um, sign on to it. And then when push came to shove, they wouldn't have to honor it. Um, so that that's the argument from plenary power. Plenary power is the idea that a state legislature can always do whatever it wants and it can't bind itself um, into the future because that would take away its ability to always do what it wants. Um, I, I think that's wrong. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the Constitution actually has a clause in it called the Interstate Compact Clause. And this says that if, if states enter into an agreement with each other and then they present that agreement to um, Congress, 
and Congress ratifies it, uh, then it has the force of law and they, they can't uh, back out. So um, that would involve that extra step of not only all these states agreeing to join, but Congress ratifying their agreement as between themselves. But but if that all happened, I do not agree at all with the plenary power doctrine. I don't I don't think that's right. So this is 15 years now. This got underway in 2006. And so far, Maryland, New Jersey, Illinois, Hawaii, Washington, Massachusetts, D.C., Vermont, California, Rhode Island, New York, Connecticut, Colorado, Delaware, New Mexico, and Oregon have signed off on this. And again, it's at 36% of what you would need. It's got to get to roughly 73%. I'm not sure I follow that either. I think 51% would be enough. If you get if you get enough electoral votes in there to to add up to 270 electoral votes, I, I think you're there. Well, that would supposedly be 73% of the electoral college in total. So I I'm just going by what I found online and we know how dangerous that yeah, is because yeah. I mean, look, I, <clears throat> I would keep it simple and just instead of percentages, just votes. But so right now you said there's 196 votes in there. If it, if it gets to 270 votes, I think it can do the job. I just I hate to do this to you because you're you are a constitutional professor. But I just reminded myself on something I wanted you to address for a moment for the dumber people out there uh, and who complain when uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, whoever runs Twitter, Jack Dorsey, the bearded Jack Dorsey you know, deplatform the president that it's somehow his First Amendment rights are being violated so quickly. Can you explain to these people why this is not a First Amendment issue? Yeah, it's not a First Amendment issue because the publisher here is Twitter. I mean, it's it's like saying if you try to get your book published by Simon and Schuster and they send you a rejection letter that your your First Amendment rights were violated. It doesn't even make any sense. Um Twitter has First Amendment rights. They, they can publish what they want to publish on Twitter. They don't have to publish what they don't want to publish on Twitter. Trump's perfectly free to go out on the Internet and have his own website. And, uh, you know, his 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 cable modem provider is not going to censor him. But if, if he wants to get on uh, Twitter's website, he doesn't have any more First Amendment right to do that than he does to come into my house and stand in my living room and start shouting. Well, that's interesting because, you know, that takes you back to that idea of, uh, you, you know, you don't have the right to stand up in a crowded theater and yell fire. And that's kind of what he did on Wednesday, isn't it? I mean, didn't. didn't oh, yeah. yeah. But, but even if he didn't, I mean, even if he even if he was perfectly polite and everything he said was lawful, it doesn't give him a right to be published by Twitter. Twitter gets right. to decide who, who they want to publish. But it's also true. This is one of the other things, Chris. You just got into one of my uh, hobby horses here. So, so you know, you remember Trump actually tried to hold up the whole defense appropriations bill because he wanted to change a law called Section 230 of the Communications Act, which gives certain kinds of immunities to Twitter and, and Facebook and other social media giants. And his, his understanding of these legal issues was completely 100% backwards. Like, he, he thought that... Section 230 allows Twitter to take down his posts. And if, 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 if Congress would repeal that law, then Twitter wouldn't be allowed to take down his posts. But in fact, the, the law says exactly the opposite of what he thinks it says. So the law actually says um, Twitter is allowed to leave up his posts. Um, and, and if they would repeal that law, then Twitter would have to take down his posts. And, and, that, and so he's actually arguing you know, to repeal a law that lets them that lets them leave his posts online g- actually gives them the choice of whether they want to leave his posts online or not. Um, but the alternative would be 
if he's posting all his illegal crap, like incitements to riot and, and defamation and, and things like that, um, they would be responsible and they could be sued for that, which would mean that they'd have to take it down um, if it wasn't for uh, Section 230. It is amazing how far this guy got when he doesn't seem to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. I mean, yeah. re- really, you have to be stand back and marvel at the power of wealth in this country, or even just the perception of wealth, because you could argue about how wealthy he is or not, or how much money people are going to come after him for. But the idea that he was perceived as being wealthy meant that so many people uh, basically bowed down to his wealth, never and never asking themselves, like, okay, is the guy smart? He doesn't seem to be terribly smart. I, I don't know if I agree completely with the idea of this being the end of Trumpism. How do you feel about that? Do you think that Wednesday, January 6th, if, when we look back, January 6th, 2021 is a bright dividing line and really represents the end of his influence, the end of his sway over people or... Is, are we just all eventually going to shrug our shoulders and go, oh, yeah, you remember that day they attacked the Capitol? Yeah, I think more likely the latter. Um, I don't think Trumpism can go away, although I think Trump himself could be diminished. But remember, we had Trumpism, you know, 12 years ago, Sarah Palin, you know, had Trumpism and there wasn't any Trump yet. You know, the, the Trump, the, the type of the p- type of people that stormed the Capitol, they've been around a long time. You know, they, they were around long before Trump. And. And so, you know, I think Trump himself is going to have a hard time staying all that relevant. I do think we're thankfully going to be a little bit done with him because he's not going to be covered by the news. He's going to be deplatformed from these social media giants. Um, you know, he's he's kind of fallen out of favor even with Fox. I, I think he's going to go away. But I think the 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 type of um, constituency that he's been the figurehead for, um, which is large in this country. Um, I, I don't think they're going anywhere. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, going to be something we're going to be dealing with for a while. Yeah, and you know the ugliness that we did see on display on Wednesday is uh, something that I I fear could actually get uglier as they see the reality of what's going to happen in twelve days. As it really, as it really does hit them that he's no longer there. He's no longer their their advocate. He's no longer sitting there telling them we love you. You're special. And so I, I think we got to prepare ourselves because they did find the pipe bombs they found outside of the Capitol had timing devices on them. These people, they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for the permission structure, the excuse. And I think in addition to being COVID safe, we got to start being pipe bomb safe. We got to start yeah. really thinking we got to have what they call situational awareness. You see something, you say something. And uh, I just watched that whole Richard Jewell uh, miniseries that's out there. I think it's on Netflix now. And, uh, you know, you see a suspicious-looking bag, report it to somebody, get the hell out of the area. Because these people are not done with this dumb shit stuff that they're going to be pulling. And uh, we're at a road, Ken Kak. And I do thank you. I, and I thank you every time you spend a few moments with us to get into this stuff. It's all fascinating to me. Um, and I hope you make it to Colorado at some point. I, I hope, I really do hope. Are you? What group are you in for the vaccine? You're an educator. They're going to vaccinate you anytime soon. 
I can't figure it out. It's so complicated for me because I live in Ohio. I normally work in Kentucky and I now I'm working in Colorado. And, you know, usually these things, the teachers that are getting priority are getting them through their um, uh, employers. Yeah. You know, but 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 I'm, I'm never in the same state as my employer. And, and also I've been teaching remotely this this in the fall semester. I taught remotely in Kentucky in the spring semester. I'm teaching remotely in Colorado. So there's pretty low justification for giving me the vaccine. Really, it's not like I'm, a, you know, like a K through 12 teacher who's in there with a bunch of kids that are going home every day. So I don't really know. I'll, I'll take it as soon as they give it to me. But nobody's told me anything yet. Yeah, well, you just mentioned Sweet Tea. She's in that group. So uh we found out today she's in Group One B, and uh, we can't wait. <laughs> we yeah. can't wait. <laughs> so she's been I, going into school teaching kids every day. Well, no, not quite yet. Uh, but there is going to be a return at some point. So yeah, yeah. You know, we, but yeah. And, and then I might be in Group One C. We'll see. Who, who the oh. hell knows? But it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Stay safe, and I'll, I'm sure with the next constitutional crisis, namely Trump pardoning himself, right. we'll get on the phone yet again. I shall return. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. There goes Ken Katkin. Don't forget, this program replays on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And in the meanwhile, it becomes a podcast available at uh, Amazon Music Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, all that crap. Just search for Aerial View. The Hound Howl shows up at 3 p.m. on Sundays, followed by Crashing the Party. Do up Chop Shop of the Air, 5 p.m. on Sundays. And you can find me on Facebook as well, the Facebook page for this show. It's probably going to be going away because it's such an incredible pain in the ass, that thing. they they Facebook is constantly changing things and making things more difficult. That used to be easy, and I'm probably going to tell them to go kiss my ass at some point. Uh, so that may be gone, but you could always find me, my personal page, just look for Chris Sackis, my actual last name, T-S-A-K-I-S, T-S-A-K-I-S. Yes, the T is silent. Don't ask. Please, let's not get there. Let's not go into that. And until we meet him once more, you stay safe, too. Oh,